I'm a dude, and I'm inviting you to join me on a podcast about brews. Does that include stouts? Yes. Yes, of course it includes stouts. Like I was saying, join us every Saturday on the journey hey, hey, into... Hey, co- wait a minute. Do you, do you guys do anything about, like, IPAs? Yes. Like that? Yes, of, yes, of, yes, we do IPAs. Okay. It's, okay. It, yes. Anyway... Join us on the Journey into Comics Network for Brews with Dudes. Whoa, whoa, about- hey, hey, do you, have you guys ever, do you care if I bring some Zima on? Yes, I care if you bring Zima. Zima doesn't count. Zima, oh. Zima's, Dr. Dongo. Anyway, join us every Saturday for a podcast that delves into the craft brew world. The following is a Journey into Comics Network production. Hey, hey, this is Josh Richmond, and you are listening to the Voice of Survival podcast, exclusively on the Journey into Comics Network. gentlemen welcome to another episode of the voice of survival podcast as the introduction said i am your host nate and today i have a very very special guest i am wasting no time introducing this person today welcome to my show athena finger welcome thank you thank you for having me i'm very excited to have you today there's a whole hell of a lot to talk about with your life and your story and it's like i feel like your life has two very day and night stories kind of that combine with to make one really special moment because you've got like your normal everyday life and then this legacy that you're carrying on your shoulders now it's very true I've always described my life as having two very separate lives that kind of co-mingle at times it's it's actually kind of a beautiful symmetry considering the character that we'll be talking about today so uh, just to get right into it, we're going to kind of jump into the early part of your life. And just right out of the gate, what are some of your earliest memories growing up? Uh, where did you grow up, I think, is a good place to start as well. Um, well, I, I moved to Massachusetts from Oregon when I was about three and a half, almost four. Um, so I grew up in Massachusetts. I lived there until my early 20s. Oh, um, you're no stranger to winters then. No, no. There's a reason why I moved to Florida. Um, <laughs> I, I had enough blizzards in Boston that I was like, I can't take it anymore. Um, I'm going to go where it's sunny and warm. So that's where I went. And I came to Florida and uh, I'm having a hard time leaving. <laughs> you don't really have a desire to leave, I think, is maybe the better way to put that. You're like, why would I? Like, this place is great. Uh, so in well, your, you know, a few years ago, I was really playing with the idea of, of living somewhere else, just to experience another place, another culture, different types of people. Huh? Um, but you know, there's really no other place in the United States that has this tropical weather, so it's really keeping me here. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so nice, and you can you know be mostly away from earthquakes. You know, you can always go to California, but no, uh, but see, even in California, it gets like cold. 
Okay, so then let's dispel this myth real quick because I saw a meme on Facebook the other day, and I'm so glad you just said cold and we're talking about Florida. So okay. I saw this meme on Facebook that said that, like, there was a weatherman telling people to bundle up because it was going to be 50 in Florida. Do people really bundle up like it's wintertime there? Oh, yes. Now, see, I lived up north, so I know what it's like to wear, you know, five-plus layers of clothing to stay warm. And brave right? the winds and whatnot. Right. So when I moved down here, I moved down here in the middle of December, so it was cold up north, and I came down here, and it was, you know, it was like 75 to 80 degrees every day, and I started laughing. I'm like, why are people wearing hats and gloves and sweaters and... Like, it's 75 degrees outside. Like, I'm sweating. You're in T-shirts so... having a good time. Oh, yeah, definitely. And since I've been down here for almost 20 years, I'm one of those people that gets to 75. I'm putting a sweater on. I'm putting on, an, you know, maybe not a thick sweater, but I'm putting on something to keep me warm. <laughs> well, and you guys also have to kind of contend with that, like, ocean breeze. So while it's well, the 75. Humidity, the humidity keeps it cold. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. So in your early 20s, you decide, I'm moving to Florida. Was there anything that sparked that other than just you needed a change? Basically, I just needed a change. I was kind of dead in the water in Boston. I wasn't really finding any prospects with you know, my private life or my work life. So I had some friends who lived here in Miami, and I said, well, do you mind? <laughs> If I kind of stop by while I find a place. And so, um, no, and I haven't left since. So that's excellent. So you're, uh, you know, you're staying with your friends. You find, okay, so one thing to note is that you are a teacher now. So did you leave high school and immediately start pursuing that dream of being a teacher? Or is that something that kind of jumps into your life later once you're in Florida? No, I was supposed to go to art school. Oh, excellent. We for do. college. I did go to art school for a little while in high school. Okay. And I did sing, take some art classes at the Mass College of Art um, in Boston. Um, you know, I, when I came down here, I actually came down here for a purpose. I wanted to start a family. I wanted to get married. I wanted to do the whole, you know, domestic thing. And I, I achieved that when I got down here. I met someone right away. Um you know, I was working. I still hadn't really figured out what I wanted to do with school yet. So I did the family thing first, had the baby, and then I went back to school. Um, and since I had a child, I was like, well, what kind of profession can I have where I can take the summers to travel with him? Because he'll be off on the summers also. And I'll have, you know, a similar schedule depending on the school that you work at. And, and so... I was going to go to be an elementary school teacher and I had a math professor that kind of steered me to just getting my math degree instead. (laughs) And now you're teaching high school kids. No, I teach at a small college in in Florida. Um, I teach developmental math, so high school math, um, to adults. Um, I don't have my master's, so, you know, they keep me at the development. You know, the developmental level, which is fine. I have a lot of fun teaching what I teach. I've done it for several years now. So, you know, I have a rhythm and I get the adults really engaged because who wants to do (laughs) pre-algebra? You know, like really. And I understand that. So, 
Well, I mean, somebody has to teach it. And so you're doing a great thing, obviously. And it uh, it seems like that job's flexible and allows you to kind of travel when necessary because we've still got this big, dark mystery looming overhead of, of your journey and, and, and where everything kind of takes a crazy turn in your life. So you're living in Florida. You've built this family. Everything's kind of going normal. You know, we haven't really dove, dove super deep into it yet, but... Growing up, there is, hmm, I don't know how to word this, almost a cloud over your family because the legacy is not lining up with history at the moment. Correct. And I feel like, you, you know, it's one of those things that when you're younger and you really believe in something, you're like, damn it, I believe in this and I'm going to share with the world how I feel and you know, maybe I'm not going to make a lot of friends in that regard, or maybe I'm going to upset some people, but uh, I'm going to stand for what I believe in. And at some point, you get wore out from that, and you almost throw your hands up in the air. Sort of. Uh, I didn't talk about it for a long time. So um, when it did come back into my life, it was kind of a shock but also a relief because it was time. It really was. It was time for it to be resolved and for the real history to come out. So Absolutely. And it, and the beautiful thing about this is now there is a legacy that has been restored. And not only has it been restored, but in a really beautiful way, you have enhanced the legacy that your grandfather really created. Because now there's this really, I mean, from the depths of my soul, I mean this like the most beautiful form of justice being served. And in a very sad and very poetic story, you get this awesome resolve. And now you've become this beacon for this character. It's uh, it's a lot. <laughs> it, it, it's times it's you put it like that it's like oh my god that's like intense so intense <laughs> well i mean you know as as a fan of the character batman who we're talking about today uh it's it's almost it shaped my legacy as a person and the things i've aspired to do and you know creating a whole podcast network where the the linchpin of the the thing was a comic based show uh, and now doing an interview with you it's just like this beautiful symmetry where batman has affected me so much that you know, I watched this documentary that Mark put together um, right when it came out, I think it was, the, the Batman and Bill that's on Hulu. And right. as soon as I saw it, I was, I mean, honestly, a very naive comic book fan because I did not know the story of Bill Finger at all. And I've never been so shocked and amazed and humbled and also just like impressed with someone's drive to right a wrong, you know? Well, I mean, it was something that Bill wasn't able to do for himself, even though he did, you know, at one time tried to speak up for himself, but it didn't work. Um, you know, my father tried to get credit for his dad. Um, unfortunately, he passed away very young and wasn't able to see any kind of resolution for his father. So it, the burden really fell on me to make sure that something was resolved, something, one way or another. Just 
the unknown really is worse absolutely absolutely agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly like having no clue if there's going to be resolution is just tiresome because your mind is constantly wondering the what ifs what could happen yes. what could come so when mark reaches out to you and and you know obviously that journey is very beautifully told in the documentary of how he found you on myspace and 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 the beauty of the internet you know you can just connect with anybody uh yes. So he finds you, and then it's almost immediately like, I, I, you know, and you don't have to get too deep into this if you don't feel comfortable doing this or not, but I, I feel like it opened up a wound, like, right away, and you were just like, Oh, it did. Oh, it was damn so it. extremely emotional. There was a lot of crying. Um, my ex-husband, who I was married to at the time, didn't really understand why I was so emotional about it because it was something that I never talked about. Um, so it was it was very tough for me emotionally. But it was also very exciting because here's this person who's showing so much interest and enthusiasm and really wants to get Bill's story out there and, and sees the injustice and that, look, there is a community of people out there that do know the truth and the, the truth is spreading. Like, cause I was, I never was part of that whole scene. I was never into going to conventions. I, I barely read comics myself. Like it just wasn't the culture that I gravitated towards, but I was totally into horror and that's what I did. Oh, you like horror. horror. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. So, and then when I was, you know, when I was younger, I was making my own art. I was doing my own thing. I was creating. I was, you know, I wasn't trying to be influenced by other people's art. You know, I was trying to find my own at that time. So, um, you know, it's it was it was really a shock, but exciting because he really was trying to get Bill's name attached to the Batman name. I mean, that was his ultimate goal was for people to know the truth and the, what the correct history was. I'm going to, so. I'm going to throw a number at you that you might not totally be aware of, but maybe you are, who knows? Uh, according to how the documentary is told, and I know that there's sometimes movie magic and stuff based on what they say in that this journey for you with Mark finding you and then everything that kind of started at the premiere of the dark Knight to now has been 10 years in the making. Like you have, you've officially been in this for a decade and almost yes. like a little, well, no, I've been in it a lifetime. Well, you've been in a lifetime. Family. That's true. Um, but the fight really, you know, the idea of the fight really came to mind with me when my father passed away, but I was always discouraged. That it's going to cost too much money. This, that, the other thing. How do you fight a conglomerate so, like Warner brothers? Well, just even DC, because you have to think back in the early 90s, I don't think Warner Brothers had bought them yet. Oh, that's true. Then. Very true. Um, my father passed away in 92, so I believe it was still just DC at that time. So, I mean, even just going against them, they were still a huge corporation, company, um, not corporation, but company to go against. And it would, again, take finances that a young person doesn't necessarily have. <laughs> So, um, you know, so when he, when Mark came and said, you know, you should really approach the subject again, it's really something that you should really consider resolving. 
I took it to heart and I, I talked to people that were close to me and, and, you know, we kind of all said it was really up to me and, you know, it's going to be a long fight and, you know, but you're really the only person that can do it. So it's up to you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I have to think about it some more. And then, you know, came to be in the 75th anniversary and I was like, you know what, we really need to make this right. So that's when I started to really pursue things was in 2014. Although things were, you know, I had communications back and forth with DC. Mm. Um, One thing that's very interesting to note is that you got married, but your last name is still Finger. So you have kept the lineage going. And that kind of leads me to... A sub next question, and I, maybe I, hopefully this isn't a boundary of crossings or anything, but you have a son. Yes. And I've just been curious, have you guys considered having his last name changed to Finger just to carry it on? We've been trying, I have been trying to convince him to at least hyphenate it. Like, I understand his dad's old school Cuban. Um, I understand that whole dynamic of carrying on the name. Uh, my son is his only son. He has a daughter. She doesn't carry on his name. So I understand that, but I think that there's also, you need to, you know, I think you need to hyphenate and add this other name. Um, you know, but it's really, it, he might change his mind. He's still kind of young. He's only 15, so he's uh, still. He's got tons of time to let life give yeah. him experience to to feel out what exactly he's going to want to do. And, of course. Exactly. I mean, it's a personal thing. It is his name, so if he chooses not to do it i mean i have to respect that so but it would be nice if he would add it but in in his heart he's all about it he's definitely a finger and and totally supports the cause and is super excited that his great-grandfather's you know got his recognition and credit for everything that he contributed gosh and that list is incredible watching the documentary and you hear like it's not just Batman. It's Batman. It's Robin, Catwoman, Scarecrow, Joker, Riddler, Penguin, Two-Face, Gordon, Gotham, the Batcave, Batmobile, Batman's origin story. It's amazing. It is amazing the mountain of work that Bill put in that literally changed the course of culture as a whole. Yes, it did. I think that my my dad would be blown away by what has happened with the character. Cause I mean, it was still in the eighties. It was still not as huge. It was still kind of a nerdy geeky, you know, you're sitting in your room and you don't have any friends and it was a, you know, a hidden culture where now it's celebrated and everybody goes to cons and everybody likes the characters and everybody wants to be part of it now. Everyone's proud to be a nerd now than it was, you know, 30 years ago. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I think he would be blown away by it. At times I'm blown away by it. I mean, before Mark had found me, it used to be an eyesore. And I mean, you literally walk down the street, just walk one block down the street and count how many times you see the Batman symbol, a Batman character, Anything related to the Batman, I'm telling you, won't go a block without seeing at least one. And so for a long time, it was like I I tried to not see it, even though it was in my face all the time. 
you were, <laughs> you, you were living your own personal horror story with it at that time. Kinda, yeah. It, it was, was like really, it was painful. It was, uh, you know, it was just a constant reminder. Because at the time, you couldn't, like, you could proclaim the legacy, but there was no one at that time, or not enough information to the people around you that could substantiate what you were trying to tell them. Like, hey. Well, the internet definitely changed that a lot. I mean, oh, yeah. The, the free sharing of information just allowed it to be a lot easier for people to, you know, see that it's the truth. It's really, you know, there are articles out there. There's people out there who know the truth that worked with them, that worked in the industry, knew about the story. Like, there's confirmation out there now. And lots when of people that. And and there's lots of people that actually champion Bill now. It's yes. not it's not only just that, like they're like, yeah, we were there, we were a part of it. But like they're like, no, you guys don't understand how much he really did. Like, look at it, look at it for what it is. And then like it's amazing. Right. I, you know, it's funny. Some people don't know this, and I of course just to refresh and know as much as I absolutely could going into this interview. I re-listened to you and Kevin Smith's podcast that you recently did, which was incredible. And I oh, was so much fun. I'm I'm sure Kevin Smith. I'm an absolute huge fan. He's like one of my, um, you know, if I could ever have a fantasy uh, interview, he's the one. You know, oh so, really? <laughs> oh, absolutely. So I'm like shoveling snow today, and I'm listening. And I had listened when you guys first released it, but I wanted to go back and refresh. And I'm shoveling the snow today, and I just get to the part where you guys are talking about how your grandpa also helped create Green Lantern. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, he didn't just do the Batman stories. He he worked wherever he could get a paying job. And that and he's a hustler in that regard. And it's amazing and to think of some of the things. Did, oh yeah, I mean, he worked on the Superman script. He created Green Lantern. He created Wildcat. He did, I believe, it was uh, the All American or something like that. He's done so much, but it's not even just comics that he did. He wrote for the radio. He wrote for TV. He wrote movies. He wrote for the army. I mean, he wrote whatever and whenever he could possibly write. It was truly his passion to write. It was. Um, and that, and you know, that's something you can't fake. It's that's one of the most genuine things in the world. He loved it on the most honest level that he did it wherever he felt necessary. It's just amazing that he was so. Ahead of his time creatively, because you think about, you know, the documentary and whatnot and uh, the the moment where he says, like, Batman shouldn't be red. It doesn't it's 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 too bright. That doesn't make sense for a bat. And like the concept right. that they he really thought about, like, what would a bat encapsulate? That's forward thinking in in the 30s that just, you know, it shapes society. It really does. It, it did. He was a very visual writer. Um, and he was able to express it to people so that they could, you know, hopefully portray what he was trying to show with his words. Um, he was. He was definitely ahead of his time. And he, uh, you know, he did a great job, and this is something that you guys, t I think you talk about it in both the documentary and, the, and definitely on the, on the podcast with Kevin Smith, not to just regurgitate a little bit of information, but I just loved the fact that, uh, you know, he... Uh, he was always creating, always striving to 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 think ahead. But not only did he do that, he could go, when you're drawing this, Mr. Artist Guy, 
imagine this, or I'm going to set a prop that gives you an example of what I'm trying to elaborate, or the scene needs to move this way. He was more yes. than just a storyteller. He was actually a narrator of these pages. Yes. It's, Which is very different. It's a different approach to writing. Absolutely. Uh, so the question I guess I'm going to lead out of this a little bit is, do you dabble in writing at all? No. Not something that really interests you? really, no. Okay, but but you got you the know, art side of it, though. Yeah, I'm definitely all about the drawing and the painting. Um, photography, I'm, I was, I, I love to do that. I did it a lot when I was younger. I got back into it recently, too, getting back into the painting recently. Um, so, I mean, I, I've, I'm going back to my original roots, which is the visual arts, um, which is, all, you know, a lot of fun for me. I get to play. <laughs> I worked with... Um... I worked with a photographer who was like old school trained in film and like nice. old school lighting techniques. I worked with him for a couple of years and I learned so much. Like sure. it's, in, it's just, I was just a sponge in that moment, even though he was maybe like the worst boss I've ever had. Like I, I, he really was, he was like this lecherous old man who totally liked to just abuse everyone verbally. It was very strange <laughs> and off putting, but I was just like, okay, give me all your knowledge. That's all I care about. You know, uh, that's smart. <laughs> it, it is. And then like now I'm just like I have a cell phone and I'm just like, oh, hell, I can use his techniques with this and it'll make a picture look 10 times better. Great. Let's go oh, on. Yes. Um, I want to go back <laughs> a little bit, though, because you said you're a horror fan. Yes. So I got to know what are some of your favorite horror movies? Do you like horror punk? <laughs> like like there, like there are like two million different questions with horror. I think we could get into on this. Oh, wow. <laughs> you weren't expecting to talk about something that wasn't Batman today. Um, what's horror punk? You've never heard of horror punk, the music style? Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. All right. Like the Misfits? Yeah, okay. Cool. Um, <laughs> no, um, you asked me what my favorite horror movies are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's so many. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Which, which decade? Oh, well, let's start with, like, the classic, like, 50s horror, if we're looking at, like, and, I mean, if you have stuff that's earlier than 50s, please do indulge. I mean, I'm a huge horror buff um, myself. Those, um, let's see. I don't know the 50s so much, but Whatever Happened to Baby Jean is one of my favorites from the 60s. Awesome. Um... The 60s is also when The Green Slime came out. I have to just put that out there since Bill wrote that one. Which is um, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, hand it's in hand. A, a fun movie. It's so fun. I love it. Um, and there's some really interesting facts about that movie, too, because I did a screening of it at an art festival up here, and they're like, you have to talk before we do the movie. And I'm like, okay, what the hell am I going to talk about? <laughs> I'm like Googling all these facts. I'm like, tell me about the movie. And like, there's some weird stuff about that movie. Oh, please indulge. Absolutely. Of course I want to know. Okay. Your grandpa so... wrote it, which is crazy. Okay. <laughs> one thing I do need to ask leading into this though, did you okay. know he wrote it before you watched it or did you see the movie and then you learned like, oh, whoa, grandpa did that. That's crazy. No, I knew beforehand. Okay. 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 So let's go back into these crazy facts about the green slime. Okay. So... First of all, the director of that movie was Japanese. Awesome. Okay. So um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Now, the, the people who were inside the 
green monster, the one-eyed monster that's in there. The small ones were small Japanese children. What? Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Another interesting fact was that there were two versions of the movie. There was a U.S. release, and then there was a Japanese release, because it was Japanese director, right? Well, the U.S. release was the full movie, which included the love story between the two main characters, right? That's what carries the whole movie through, is the love story. Absolutely. Well, in Japan, they cut out the love story, so it's just a sci-fi movie. Oh my because gosh! They felt it was too risque to include the love the love story. <laughs> okay, so oh how God, convoluted does it how convoluted does it make that story then without the part I that makes know. that story? You haven't seen it. I I, I have not seen the Japanese version. I feel no. like I'm going to try mean, to find like it that's... and give it to you somehow, <laughs> like so you can just watch it and tell and we can, we can talk about how bad it is because I'm sure it's. How do you have like that's the most important part of the story? You can't. I know. What? <laughs> Horror without love is just kind of, I don't even know what to, what's exactly, what is the point? There is no point. <laughs> so what other facts about Green Slime can you tell me? Are there other crazy things that are within oh, this movie? I have to look it up again. Those were my three favorites, though. Did the you know? Japanese children. <laughs> that's, I'm sure they had a field day filming that. Like, okay, we're going to cover you in Green Slime. Oh, so crazy. Uh, did do you know this fact, but was Bill on set when they filmed that? Or was he just the writer? He turned in his script and went about his business, didn't care to I see... He did, no, he, he didn't leave New York. Oh, so he was just he all, all business. Yeah, he didn't like to leave New York. His second wife tried to get him to move to California. And they actually got a divorce because she had to move to California to go take care of her, one of her children. And um, he refused to go, so they split up. Um, and then she moved back to New York, and right before they passed away, they were talking about getting back together. But he he did not want to leave New York City. That's where he wanted to be. That was that was his turf. That was his home. That was the yeah. birth of Gotham. I mean, really, all the yeah. things that are within Gotham you can find in New York City. It's a, a kind of a dark and beautiful symmetry there. Uh, Let's see here. I've got a bunch of little notes and stuff i got to try to remember to ask you about along okay. the... Well, let me tell you. Okay, so I told you the 60s. In the oh. 70s, there's so many good horror movies coming out of the 70s and the 80s. Okay. Um, of course, Texas Chainsaw is, like, of course, a classic favorite. Um, in the 80s, I was a huge Freddy Krueger fan. I still am. Awesome. Still love, love Freddy him. myself. Um, then, um, some other ones that were my favorites were like Hellraiser, um, moving into like the nineties. I don't know. They were weird in the nineties with the horror movies. I can't really think of any that like really, really grabbed me. Scream maybe is like the only one I can really think about. No, it's, it was too campy and funny. It was really campy. Of course, every time I think of Scream, I always think of Scary Movie instead of Scream because they just did such yes. a good parody of that movie. Uh, Although, I mean, Scream is a great scary movie if you're like not accustomed to horror. I mean, it's a great story. It's got a nice twist. At the, you know, like it's it's put together very well. But 
being someone who grew up watching the genre, it's like, this is hilarious. He's like, there's a formula for it. Don't say I'm going to be right back. Woo! You know? It's yeah. Like, Shut up. Every time you say I'm coming right back, you've definitely doomed yourself. Just yes. give it up. It's over. <laughs> like, game over. You lose. Uh, I'm trying to think of other 90s horror movies. Uh, Chucky, it's I guess? Hard, right? Maybe the child's play chucky movies are really oh it came out in the late 80s they were late 87 okay so okay that thing that that's probably about right 90s was like okay so the 90s was like the big vampire time interview Um, with a vampire vampire came out but i don't consider that a horror story because that's such a love story absolutely um, so I don't consider that horror, even though technically, I guess, because it's a Dracula movie, it would be horror. But I don't know. It's just too beautifully done for it to be looped into that. <laughs> so then <laughs> I just my opinion. OK. Oh, you know, I do have one 90s movie that I guess technically could be considered horror, but I don't know okay. if it resonated with you, uh, which would be the Blair Witch Project. Blair Witch, okay, yeah, that came out in 99. So it was, like, right at the end of the 90s there. Uh, and that was, you know, that was unique. That was a unique movie. It was the first of its kind. Um, I was impressed with the fact that they did it in such a non-Hollywood way you know what i mean they really just were a couple people in the woods and sometimes that's just scary and then you have this other story going on with a witch you know it was like and the way that they did it wasn't like super effects it was you know it was kind of the i guess the first kind of found footage film that started that whole genre Absolutely, and then I'm of course. Trying to think if there was anything else before that, but I can't really think of anything. No, and then of course from Blair Witch spawned the Paranormal Activity movie. Did that resonate with you at all? Um, no. The problem with that is that my ex-husband was not into horror, so we didn't really see that many. Ah. Um, during that time, I did see House of a Th- Thousand Corpses. And I was not impressed with it. I was like, this is like towards the end when he, when they go underground into the cave and the guy is there. And it's like just weird. It's like it took this weird turn. Like the whole beginning of the movie was just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre in a way. And then it went like, what? <laughs> I watched it and I was like, huh? And I still like question i'm like where where does this fit in like it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense someone come and check this out is this really horror are we counting this as yeah, horror it's like i'm confused like it was good up until this point and then what happened uh, so i'm guessing <laughs> that you were turned off by the devil's rejects then and, and didn't No, but that one was so much better oh okay 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 so so i get you i get like you like a standalone Devil's Rejects is really good. Like, you don't necessarily have to have the beginning, the first movie to really understand what's going on in that movie because they're just being chased by the cops. They're being chased by the cops for some reason. Who cares why? What's happening? You know what I mean? Yeah, that was actually really well explained. Um, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch Devil's Rejects. I watched that, like, once and was like, whoa, okay, creepy. I don't know if I can... I'm a little bit different with my horror. Sometimes I get a little jittery, but uh, do you watch oh, like yeah. the? Uh, do you watch like? Uh, oh God, what was that movie called? Japanese movie 
they based Saw off of this movie. Oh, why can't I think of it right now off the top of my head? Uh, I don't know, but they've been putting out a lot of good stuff in the last, I want to say, 15 years. I remembered what I've it's been, called. What is it? Ichi the Killer. No, I haven't seen that one. It's a Japanese. It it's I don't know if it's on like Netflix or Hulu or anything. Maybe it's on a streaming service. I'll do some research after and let you know. Uh, okay. But Ichi the Killer was like the original idea that they took to make Saw. Okay. And I thought the first Saw movie as well as the second Saw movie were pretty good horror flicks. Okay, well, yes, the Saw first couple were really good. I like the series. I like what the the concept of it. I know a lot of them were really bad. The last one that they just did with Jigsaw, did you see that one? I haven't seen it yet. I have it in my queue to watch. I just haven't got to it yet. It's good. It is it's good? way better than the last one with the guy who wrote the book that was lying about being okay like, yeah that was just so ridiculous the last one, one was the only one in the series i really didn't get down with yeah me too like i could follow along like it was yeah it wasn't the greatest but like i like gore like Same. i like you know i like to see that stuff. and not only that i'm so fascinated especially with the old school movies like american werewolf in london the special effects back then were really special effects. Correct. When movie magic they're, was born. This is, they're starting to bring it back, though. They use a lot of CGI still, but I think they're really starting to bring back the more organic type of... Practical effects. Yeah, like the, the natural special effects where you really do interact. I mean, that was one of the things that I actually loved about the Freddy Krueger movies was all of the super intense special effects that went into that movie. And I used to watch documentary after documentary about those movies. I'm like, oh, that's how they did that? That's so cool. Like, wow, I would have never thought that. It looks so real. Like, Did you see you Never Sleep Again? It's computerized now. It's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You can't tell now when it's computerized because it just like, it. T- there's a certain quality that gets taken away from the visual. Yes. Uh, that you yes. just can't replicate. And uh, I, I'm curious, did you see Never Sleep Again? It's the uh, it's the four-hour Freddy Krueger documentary on Netflix that recounts every single movie and all the behind-the-scenes stuff. parts of it. Oh, it's so good. It's so long because, like I said, it's four hours long. Yeah. But it's so worth it. I'll have to put it. it on while I'm painting or something. There you go. Hey, that's actually a great question. Do you – Mainly just like have some like a TV on in the background when you're creating your art or do you listen to music or what kind of music do you listen to when you're creating if that's a thing? Uh, I, I do both. I'll put movies on or I'll get stuck on a show and I'll just let it play. Or some days I want to bounce around the house and paint and I'll listen to music. I listen to um, a lot of hip hop like atmosphere and Gorillas. Um, awesome. Love the gorillas. Other kinds of stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you know who Atmosphere is, but they're I awesome. I feel they're like, like I know one song that Atmosphere did that my buddy was really into back in the day. <laughs> Their music is really good if you want to check out another band. I really like they have a lot of good stuff to say. Um, you know, but I, I listen to a lot of dubstep. I listen to a lot of like obscure stuff like soul coughing or i'll listen to david burns sometimes i like stuff with a beat usually if i'm 
trying to paint because I need to be kind of upbeat. And Gives lively, you the energy. I'll just go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it just like pulses you with that energy to create. And I just want to say, like, I, looking at some of your art on your artist page, you do amazing work. You did the recreation of the uh, the '66 era, or like the old school comic era Batman on the typewriter recently. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's fantastic! And then you in the keys put finger. I love that little Easter egg. Like I'm. A... It actually says Bill in there too. If you look from the bottom to the top, it says B I L. Oh. So I put his full clever. name. Clever. That's clever. <laughs> You're so clever. That's great. Uh, so we haven't really got into the other part of this interview that's really interesting to me, and and really the meat and potatoes of what I want to talk about because I want to know what the whirlwind has been like for you after the documentary has come out and what this last year has been like and and maybe describe some of these crazy moments like getting interviewed by Kevin Smith and going to premieres and stuff. What has that all been like for you? It's been pretty wild. I mean, like we had said before, my, my regular life is pretty regular. I mean, I teach at a college and I grade papers and I, you know, <laughs> I come home and I cook dinner and I took care of my son forever, of course. And still um, are. Of course. I mean, have to. <laughs> that won't end until I die. <laughs> but anyway, so, I mean, then I had this whole other world come in, like, I'm quote on, you know, quote unquote, a celebrity, but I'm not a celebrity because I'm not, you know, you think big name people when you say celebrity, but in the comic world, I kind of am, and I had to adjust to that because it's weird. It's like I'm just a simple person. I teach math, and I have my friends, and I do normal stuff, but I also represent this really huge thing, and it's like, wow, like I have to adjust to being in that spotlight, which is not always the most comfortable place to be. <laughs> um so it's been pretty wild. I mean, obviously it gets easier as the years go on, but doing cons still... and stuff. Yeah, but it's still like when people ask me to sign things, it still is like, why do you want my signature? Oh yeah, you know, it's like <laughs> it's still kind of a foreign thing because it, it's not really who I am. But it's something that you've you're becoming. You've become like the bat signal, Athena. I have, and I, I, I fully embrace it. I mean, the fans are awesome. Um, they are brave enough to reach out to me, and I respond to every single person who gets in touch with me. Um, I think it's awesome that people feel comfortable to say, hey, I just appreciate everything. You know, I think it's awesome. I don't shy away from that because... Like you said, I kind of am a beacon. They can't talk to Bill directly. Can't go visit a place where his ashes are. Um, I'm the next best thing. So I, I, I really honor that. I really, and I respect the fans for that. It's got, and it's got to be kind of weird too, because you're, you, you are the heir of Batman now. Uh, you have changed the course of history. You have to think 76 years, your grandfather went without credit to this character and through Mark's hard work and your hard work and your ability to just say like, 
I can't stop until this injustice has been righted. It, it did it. It's changed history now. You know, never do you hear of somebody getting their name put on a, a co-created or a byline way after the fact, because it, it's always it always gets wrapped up in the legal stuff. You know, it does. Um, and I feel very fortunate that we were able to. But again, timing played a huge role in that, like I had said before. Sometimes it's all about being in the right place at the right time, out. you know? Yeah. Uh, so you haven't had any like crazy fan experiences. People aren't asking you to like sign their babies or anything, right? Oh, no, nothing like that. <laughs> so it's pretty tame in that regard. Oh, no, people are extremely respectful. They really are. Well, that's great. I mean, you know, in, a, in, in this wild west world that we live in now, it is so hard to be trustworthy to people that are uh, just coming up to you because they know your story and don't really know you as a person or right. are trying to connect. And you're just like, um, hi, what's up? But you know what? I'm In general, I'm just a really friendly person. I mean, if you talk to any of my former students, I mean, I try to just have a good time in general. I mean, we use a lot of laughter in the classroom where we get into it in the classroom. We get personal. We get... You know, it's it's part of who I am. I'm not one to really shy away from people. You seem like a beacon of light as well, like very positive and uplifting uh, through everything you've endured, which is, you know, kind of what this show is all about, like going through some craziness and coming out on the other side and, and being okay. And not only being okay, you've, you know, read, you've redefined this legacy, as I was saying earlier, uh, you've totally redefined your own legacy now because you're a torchbearer that gets to experience all these crazy things. Uh, what are some of these, like, okay, you've been to a lot of these different events and, and been to screeners and, and seen premieres and whatnot. Have you had anybody in the industry come up to you that just, like, blew you away that they were aware of who you were based on all this stuff that's gone on? Um, not blown away that they knew who I was, but... Um, when the Green Lantern movie came out, um, I went out to L.A. for the premiere. I think that was 2011? And, yes. Okay. And I was at the after party, and I was introducing myself to Angela Bassett. And when I said who I was, you know, granddaughter Bill Finger, the co-creator of Green Lantern, she goes, you mean from the 40s? And I go, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> She's like, yeah, we're talking about the writer from the 40s. And I'm like, yeah. And she gave me a huge hug and introduced me to our whole entourage. There must have been like 20 people with her. Whoa. And she's like, this is, you know, the granddaughter. And da, 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 da. this is all these people. And I'm like, oh, my God. I was like shocked. I didn't, I didn't even really get past her saying, you mean the one from the 40s? Like, I was blown away by that. She yeah. did her homework. She knew what she was talking about. It was like, thank you. Wow. <laughs> what an amazing experience that this person actually knows what I'm talking about. Because for the Batman ones, only a few people knew. So, so you, you were just. It's not like this. I don't know. People don't take the time, I guess. So it's, it had to be vindicating for you because that's probably, you know, 2011, that's before the documentary comes out. So, yes. uh, 
at this point, this is one of the first times where you felt vilified and recognized that your grandfather was getting some recognition from someone. I mean, your whole yeah. life you had spent like t- trying to tell people what an amazing person he was and all these cool things he accomplished and no one really getting the importance of it. And then now this is more of the tide turning to what's to what's hip now and what you've been up to now. Um, I'm sure the experience with Kevin Smith on his podcast was a blast. You went to the Fat Cave? It was, uh, yes. Oh, there that's were... amazing. It was. It was um, the, the, It's kind of a funny story. I was chasing him down for several years, um, for three years. In fact, I was chasing him down to be on his show. And it, for whatever reason, it took that long. But it was such a delight to finally connect with him and be able to talk. And I wanted to thank him for having me on the show. And so I did a painting for him and he was, you know, shocked that I had something for him, first of all. And then he was just so delighted when I, you know, showed him what I gave him. And he was like, this is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> I don't get presents, he says, right? <laughs> and you're just like, really? Really? I know. That's you're Kevin nice. Smith. What? <laughs> How are people not showering you with gifts, you amazing creature? What? I don't know. But, I mean, it was just, it was such a delight to be able to connect with him finally. And I kept, like, meeting all these people that are in his circle and even close to his inner circle, and I still couldn't get to connect with him until last year <laughs> finally it's finally it was, happening it was finally like yes yes <laughs> i you know i had a question and it just it's pervading me give me hey. one hot second here uh we were going uh well i do want to ask this recently and this has already happened okay you uh, were at the presentation for the street being named after your grandfather. How awesome yes. was that? I was so surprised about that. Mark had been trying to do something for many years, something in New York to honor Bill, a plaque on one of the buildings he lived in, a bench in Poe Park, something. And so the city said, we're going to name a street after him that runs along Poe Park in the Bronx. Oh man, which so, is hit where uh, he and Bob created these ideas and, yes, and, and they collaborated. Would talk, they would hang out in Poe Park talking stories and, you know, figure out scripts and characters and to be I mean, a was, fly on a tree in that park when they were conversing. I know. Man. Oh, that's just like yeah. a shakes you that to the core to think about. Event. I mean, the people that came out, the schools that came, they had a fifth grade class come out. They all did a little art project that they presented. One student spoke for the news. Like, it was just an amazing experience. The mayor that was running for mayor, uh, awesome. Like, such amazing energy from him. He was so gracious to be part of it. Like, the whole thing was just, like, beaming the whole time. It was amazing. And that's something that no one can take from you. You got to live this really... Totally incredible experience where uh, this will forever be memorialized, and I just love that it's a, a part. You know, it runs alongside a Poe Park, and it's just 
history right there in the moment. And my first time I go out to New York, that's one of my first stops without a question. Never been, but that's on the docket to do. And then, I, of course, being uh, my goofy self, I remembered that question that I, I slipped on for a second here. Okay. It's a follow-up question to something you might actually not be allowed to talk about. So if you can't talk about it, just say, hey, we'll discuss later or something. But okay. on the Kevin Smith podcast, he says he wants to do a comic with you. Has anything been done about that? Have you guys worked on, talked about, collaborated, corroborated on an idea, brought it to DC, anything like that? Um, he did reach out to somebody. We're just waiting to see what, how they feel about it. Interesting. I, I don't have anything else to report. Um, I, I'm curious to see if it would happen. Um, like I said on Kevin's show, I'm a little intimidated, but... I mean, I'll figure it out one <laughs> I think you'd be great, and it would just be so, I mean, day one, people are lining up to buy this book. One, because it's you putting your heart and soul into a Batman story, and then two, it's you who is a creator, who has the finger name, who is not just helping write the story, but actually drawing these concepts and bringing them to life. It could be... I just see absolutely incredible things in that regard, and I'm very hopeful that that actually happens for you guys. I'm uh, very curious to see if it's going to happen. If it does, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, totally. Sure. You'll have a blast. You'll you'll have more stuff to do at Comic-Cons because then people will have you come up and sign your books. How weird right. is that? Exactly. I'm uh, a little bummed that Hulu isn't going to release the DVD of the documentary, but, you know. Oh, they're not going to do that? No, they're not. Is it because they want to keep the exclusivity of it being streamed? Yes. Man, that's kind of a bummer because I would love to have a physical Blu-ray of Batman and Bill. A uh, lot of people have been asking for it, but... I wonder if you could get somebody to privately, like, kickstart a bootleg version or something. I don't know how that works because, you know, you I don't... don't know. Want... I don't do any of that stuff. I'm sure you could find it out there. I'm sure someone made a bootleg. Yeah. They bootleg everything. People are awesome in that regard. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Uh, we did have a fan question. Somebody sent this in. AP, he's one of the hosts on the Journey into Comics Network. He hosts the Poor Report and is a co-host of Foodies Watching Movies. He was curious, if you are ever asked to cameo in an upcoming DC feature film or on, let's say, one of the CWs, whether it be Flash or Arrow, maybe Gotham on uh, Fox, would you yeah, do something no. like that? I would totally do it, um, and you're not the first to bring it up. Um, Damn. I had a friend actually reach out to the girl who plays Catwoman. Catgirl. <laughs> I can't call her a woman. Catgirl, yet. yeah. Little, yeah. Um, and, you know, talking about having me on the show, just doing an appearance. Um, I haven't really said anything to anybody about it because I'm not – an actress i'm not in the industry so i don't think they would even think to ask me and i haven't really approached them about it because i don't know is it kosher to do that like am i allowed to ask i think like, that I, you have every kind of weird <laughs> i think you have every right to ask about a show that the namesake came from your grandfather's ideas like i think you absolutely have that right yeah. to be like hey man you know you could throw me in a jail cell for a couple minutes in gcpd and i'd have a blast you know, yeah, whatever. And then fans would be like, "Holy shit, Athena was in the was in Gotham. That was amazing. <laughs> Did you see her? That was so cool. Like, we got to check this out." 
And I'm a huge I fan of Gotham. To my resume. <laughs> yeah, see, and and add it to the list of things that uh, you know, you can do because it seems like you like to do and dabble in a little bit of everything, and um, you know, you're an artist. I love that teacher. That's a special place in my heart. My mom is a teacher, girlfriend, nice. teacher, family members, all teachers. Like I, I just, I know we're what a it. Special breed. It really we're is. Patient. It, we're, we're very patient people. Patience beyond your years. Yes. <laughs> and and that makes you not only just an amazing teacher, but I'm sure it makes you an amazing parent, which is important that you have a, a great yes a great relationship with your son. I'm sure sometimes he makes you want to pull your hair out, as uh, most yeah, children but we do. All did. Yeah, absolutely. We all did. That's how <laughs> that's how we grow and we learn. Uh, you know, I noticed you have some tattoos. And I feel like you've yes. got more tattoos after the documentary. Is that true? Because uh, I feel like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the first time we saw in your documentary, you didn't have any tattoos. And then you have like a dragon on your one arm. And then is your oh, other arm? Oh, no, that was there. It was? Oh, oh yeah. I I started getting tattoos when I was 19. Oh, nice. So you have I lots have of tats. Two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Oh, excellent. Uh, do you have any tributes to the bat? I do. Um, I have two. Ooh, actually. awesome. The first one that I got was very small and hidden, and it was the original Batman logo. Um, the real simple one with just the black and the tiny little face. Um, and then I put Bill's initials under it, but it's in a place that you can't see it, and it it didn't heal properly, so it doesn't look very good. So back in 2014, I went and got another tattoo, same logo, just bigger, and I got it on my leg, so you can actually see that one. <laughs> awesome. You're like, yes. But the other stuff I have is all personal to me. Um, the first tattoo I ever got is a big, huge Felix the Cat. And he's juggling nine little Felixes, the, the cats, and he's juggling his nine lives. I stole it off of a comic book cover. Awesome. <laughs> Felix the cat's awesome. Uh-huh. Um, and then I just kind of went from there, and I just started covering myself with, with tattoos. <laughs> the dragon that you mentioned, the red dragon that's on my arm, that's actually an original piece of mine. I drew that's that out myself. Incredible. Um, Oh. Okay, so then yeah. that you're going to make me ask this next question. It's not even on my list of things I wanted to ask you, but here we okay. are. You've guided me down the road. Would you ever do tattoo art? Would you ever tattoo people? Oh, I can't deal with other people's bodily function, like fluids, no. I I'm feel you. So blood, you're like, no thanks, no thanks. Needles, yeah, no, no thanks. I'm all set with that. <laughs> okay, well, that's good to know. Good to know that you have limits and things you won't get I mean, into. I, if somebody wants me to draw something for them and then have an artist do it then yeah sure see, see you right. should do uh the c2e2 comic-con up by where i live it's the chicago con and okay. uh they have tattoo at the con they have a whole shop they bring every year that are these tattooers and they have you can go and get tattoos of different comic-y stuff I'm sure if you sat at Artist Alley and drew stuff for people to get tattooed, you would make a killing. <laughs> oh man, even if you just did little doodles, like it would be great. People would uh, probably eat probably. that up. That's a good idea. Uh, that's... I'll have to keep that in mind because I believe it was. I want to say Supercon 
2016, I believe they had a tattoo artist there at that convention. And it was the first time I had ever seen that. Like, I know they have tattoo conventions, but you don't see a tattoo artist at a freaking comic book convention. (laughs) It is a little unorthodox. It's like, what? But, I mean, they kind of go hand in hand. I mean, a lot of people who are into comics are definitely into tattooing. I mean, I've seen some beautiful comic art put on people. Absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely. Um, It's, it just, it wasn't weird, but I was like, oh, it was kind of surprising to see it. So it's good to hear that they have them at other places, too. Yeah. I'm going to have to keep that in mind for when I go to my next table and a little sign. Are you staying busy? <laughs> Are, do you have some cons coming up that you can talk about and let people know what you're going to be doing next? Um, I have three things booked so far. Um, I will be doing Supercon here again in Fort Lauderdale. Um, I will actually have a table there this year. I won't just be attending. Sweet. Um, and I'll be featuring art. I have some stuff that I need to finish, and I have some new stuff that I'm going to start working on before that. Hopefully soon, because June will be here before I know it. <laughs> Blink and it'll be here. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> July, I will be going to San Diego, but I did not. I wasn't approved for a table, but I go out there to help present the Bill Finger Award every year. So I went last year, and I'm going again this year. I went back in 2014 for the 75th anniversary um, and presented for the first time that year. Um, so I'm going to be doing a lot more of that, presenting that award every year and, and participating in that. Um, and also Rhode Island. Oh, cool. So when you're doing these cons, uh, I mean, it's got to just be an amazing experience to be in on the front lines. Fans running up to you, they know your story now, they know Bill's story, they know the history, and and they are, I'm sure, because I, I'm also in this boat, jubilant to speak with you because of what you not only represent, but that, I don't know if anybody's ever really made this um, analogy to you, but you are kind of, in your own right, like Batman's daughter, because you were your life is this great tragic story that you you live through all these different things happening to you and and all these things that you go through to come out on the other side as a not only just a beacon of hope but a beacon of change and that you can you know really pursue your dreams and never give up and you know if you're you know you're always going to find a way to be righted in the end if you keep working hard and i love that message that you are giving to people um yeah, I mean, you have to be willing to fight the good fight. I mean, be persistent. I mean, a lot of people want to give up because it's hard <laughs> or it's taking too long. Yeah. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that it only did take me. Okay. It took me a lifetime, but it only took me realistically, it only took me about six years to get the whole thing really resolved. Once you put and... your mind to writing this wrong. Right. Absolutely. And it was, what's the right, what's the right next step? Okay, now that we've done that, what's the next proper thing to do? What's the next approach? What's going to really achieve the goal? And that's kind of what it is. And you can't be so overwhelmed with something. Because, I mean, it was pretty overwhelming taking on this big, huge 
corporation that has no morals and doesn't really care if you don't have any money or anything, you know, like they just don't, that's not what a corporation is about. So it's a little hard to deal with that. Yeah. You're not, uh... so you have to kind of like just keep yourself grounded and focused on what I, I focused on my teaching. That's what kept me grounded and kept me going. It's because I, I really, truly enjoy teaching. Like, it, it really is my first passion, and it's really what I was called. It was my calling. I mean, it couldn't be a better fit. It really could. Um, so, you know, it, it's finding that nice balance so that you don't give up and you don't feel like it's a losing battle. Yeah, and it's awesome because you said earlier teachers are patient and this your story is all about patience it's uh, you, you had to play the long game and ultimately you won and that's a great thing to look at you and mark righted this wrong and have just you're the fixers of history and it's very important to note that that is something that cannot be forgotten I think it's important that that is well, that's one of the reasons I reached out to you because while yeah sure oh hey go 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 watch this documentary guys it's great check it out you'll love it the story's cool or whatever actually talking about the carrying on of this and how much this is the future we are in a new era of of what it means to be fans of this industry because yeah. of the work you did and and that's uh we as fans I think want to just say how grateful we overall are well, you know what? Without the fans, there would be nothing to fight for. Damn, well said. You hit that one out of the ballpark. Awesome. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, if it wasn't such a popular character, it wouldn't still be here, and there'd be nothing to fight for. Yeah, you are absolutely right. I mean, what's the point of fighting for it if uh, it just fell by the wayside, you know? Right. Um, so I'll throw one last question your way, and then we'll wrap this up. I know you've got a dinner to get to. And, uh, you know, I, I'm hungry, yes. so, so I vibe that. <laughs> uh, so what are some of your favorite characters, in retrospect, that your grandfather created that are not exclusively Batman? Oh. Not exclusively Batman? I'm, more, I'm saying, like, while it can be in the Batman universe, you could, you could talk about Riddler or somebody. Is there a character okay. that isn't the Bat himself that resonates with you as an adult and oh, of having uh, lived your whole yeah. life in the um, in the shadow well, of the I, Bat? <laughs> um, I would have to say Catwoman. Like, I really like the way that she really plays both sides and still at the same time is very neutral and is always looking out for herself. And who can forget that amazing Michelle Pfeiffer performance? Oh, my God, she was gorgeous. I mean, she killed as that. And, uh, you know, also funny, I, I, my brain is going a million miles a second here. The promise is the last thing because I don't, I don't want to keep you. But uh, It's perfectly okay, I promise. <laughs> okay. So the Dark Knight movie, there's a line that I think it's Aaron Eckhart who plays Two-Face says that's resonated in history 10 years in the making. It's one of the lines I'll never forget. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Right. And I think that is beautifully spoken on the history of Bill Finger, Bob Kane, and Batman. Oh, definitely. You know, Bill was the unsung hero, 
and he did not get the recognition he deserved until much later. Bob Kane thought he was the hero, and really, it's sad. You see the re- the reality of who that person is through everything, and you're just like, man, he had people fooled, and it's unfortunate, oh, yeah. you know? It's really unfortunate because he is deep down the villain of Batman in this story. He was the one man with keys to the kingdom that could have made your whole life different, could have made everybody's lives different. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's just history. And now you get to have this beautiful story of triumph where justice in the most beautifully true way has been served. It has. And it couldn't have happened at a better time, really. I think it was definitely something that was long overdue. Hell yeah. Well, Athena, thank you so much for coming on The Voice of Survival today. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a delight. Uh, it's You know, it's always a blast. Plus, we had a fun time talking about the horror movies, something I bet you were not expecting today, that's for sure. No. Uh, all right, folks. Well, before we get out of here, let me go ahead and go through all the different places where you can find the Voice of Survival podcast. Go to journeyintocomics.com. Get us every other Friday. The Voice of Survival podcast runs opposite of Butt Stuff podcast. Also, go to patreon.com backslash journeyintocomics, where you can give $1 for early access to all the shows on our network. $3 will give you early access and exclusive content, folks, like The Road to Infinity War. We're doing that. Uh, this week, I think we just released the Dark World review, maybe, but I, I digress here, folks. As always, check the Voice of Survival podcast out on all the different social media sites, whether it's Facebook at the Voice of Survival podcast, Instagram at the Voice of Survival, or on Twitter at Voice of Survival. I have been your host, Nate Athena. Once again, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Thank you again, Nate. This was fun. Absolutely. We can do it again. Cool. Yes, we'd love to have you. Maybe we can get you on a journey into comics sometime where we can nerd Ooh. out and talk about other stuff. Okay. <laughs> so we'll have to plan that. We're totally down and into that. That'd be a great a great conversation to have. All right. So cool. all right. Well folks, thank you so much. This was the Voice of Survival. I've been Nate. Matina. And take care. We'll see you guys later. Bye.